you are here last week, we are in, uh, in week two of our What Matters Most series where we're kind of talking about things that I believe are uh, some realities. I started last week with the realities of heaven and hell and how uh, that is a real thing and something that we need to figure out now and, uh, and kind of make our decision on uh, in, in, in our time frame that we have. And so uh, I, I said a, a really hard phrase at the beginning of the service and, and it started off with this. It says, the reality is there are people who are sitting in this room who are not saved and who are going to hell. And the sadder reality is that most of us simply do not care. And I said that we don't care enough to have hard conversations. We don't ha- care enough to get in this uncomfortable moment to say, listen, this is what matters most. We don't care to kind of break that tension and have an honest moment with people. We'd rather have surface level conversations. We'd rather just skip across the surface of our interactions with people and not get down to what really matters most. And what I've loved about this past week is even right after service, I had people come through and look at me and say, hey, I care. I care enough to have those conversations. You know what? That's the reality. I know that a lot of us do care. And I want that to be the theme of Emmanuel Baptist Church. When we talk about our church, I want it to be a church that cares, right? We care about you physically. If you, if you are in a position of need or if you're in a position of, of, of saying, listen, I'm, I'm needing some help or I've got some things going on. Maybe I don't, have, uh, I don't have enough food to eat or I don't have a place to stay or I don't have groceries to buy. I don't have enough gas to get for where I need to get. If you're in a place of need, we want to help you physically. That's what we do as a church. We obviously want to help you spiritually and emotionally and mentally. We want to help you relationally to be able to navigate because sometimes, you know what, life is hard. And we have to deal with things. We have to, we have to encounter things. We have, we have kids, and kids have things. And we have, we have parents, and parents have things. And we have grandparents, and parent, grandparents have things. And not even to count the own stress of our own life with work and, and schedules and deadlines and dance and baseball and all the other things that go on in our world. Sometimes life is just real hard. And we haven't even talked about marriage or money, which is the two biggest things that stress our life. We are here And we care, and we want to walk through those areas with you. We care about you spiritually. Obviously, everything that we do points you to a relationship and a deepening relationship with Jesus because that's the only thing that matters most. We want you to understand what salvation is, and we want you to understand what a real and and, and genuine relationship with Jesus looks like. We want to deepen that. We want to provide ministries that help walk you through all those things. We care And I love that people, when I left last week, were saying, you know what, I I care. I care enough to have these kind of conversations. And because we care, I, I preach sermons like this. I preach about the realities of heaven and hell. We talk about what it means to be saved and what genuine, authentic relationship with Jesus looks like. Uh, we talk about what, what these, I told you last week, were $5 words, these justification, sanctification, and glorification, what they are. And we're going to talk about how it's kind of lived out in our life. If you think last week was hard, wait till next week. Next week, there's going to be a lot of people that's not going to settle real well with. And I've already been thinking about how in the world am I going to be able to preach this because it hits home. What does a life defined by Jesus look like and what does Scripture say versus how we actually really live? We care enough to talk about hard things. And so this week, I want to talk about what it means to be saved. The moment of salvation, this act and the means of salvation. What is it? How is it accomplished? And, and these $5 words that are on the screen, justification, sanctification, and glorification. I think even last week I said I may rename those for, for the following week, something like the point, the process, and the payoff. But here's what I'm not, I'm not going to do that. 
I'm not going to do that for a number of different reasons. I, I, some of you may or may not know this. Uh, in the month of July, I start my doctoral program at Southwestern Seminary. I'm going to go back and get my doctorate. That's not a statement of bragging on myself because I'm not, I'm not really smart enough to do that. But it's a statement to brag on what I believe God has placed in my heart. And I have this deep desire for theological understanding within the church and biblical literacy. How do we read our Bible and read our Bible correctly? And what do we believe and why do we believe those things? I believe that God has kind of birthed that in me over the past five or six years. And, and as a matter of fact, knowing faith, those of you who went through knowing faith, was, a, was a, an expression of that desire of, of my heart that I believe God has placed there. Uh, we went through deep things. You went through a uh, graduate level systematic theology course in six weeks uh, at an hour and a half chunks of time if, if I let you out in an hour and a half. And I, it's proof that you guys can handle that. You can handle deep truths and you can handle deep things and things maybe that you've kind of known about but you've never really been walked through. And I think what we as a church have done is that we have um, oversimplified some areas of church to the point of watering down things. And I've heard people say things like, oh, don't use those big words. Don't, don't try to go too deep. They won't understand it. They won't be able to grab onto it. And I say, yes, you can. I'm looking out. Listen, I'm looking out into an audience that I have known for 16 years of my life. I've seen some of your little ones who were small enough to be baby dedicated now who are almost graduating uh, high school. I've seen some of you go from high school to being young married. I've seen some of you seen who were old when I got here and you're still old now, right? The reality is, is I know you guys and I know that, that the church as a whole can handle deep things. And not only should you be able to handle them, you should want to. You should want to know how all these things put together. You should want to know how, how the Old Testament is so intimately tied to the New Testament. You should want to know how the process of salvation can be best explained. Not so that you can sit back and go, look how smart we are, but so that you can adequately, so that you can adequately articulate your faith. So that in this world that we live in, you can adequately defend your faith. This is why I believe what I believe. This is why I think that this is most important. And so I say justification, sanctification, and glorification. That's what they're called, and that's what we're going to call them, okay? We're not going to water it down. We're not going to make it any, uh, I don't know, palatable at all. I, I don't know. And at the end of all of this, and you know, by the end of the next couple of years, uh, I will hopefully be uh, Dr. Matt Overall with about as much authority as uh, Jerry West, doctor-in-law. And so uh, I'm really excited about that to be finally at Jerry's level. So um, what we're going to do is this morning we're going to look at um, salvation as a whole. We have to understand what salvation as a whole really is. And it's going to play into these words. And here's the thought and kind of basic framework for this. What happens in salvation? And that's a question that some people want to really wrestle with. Does salvation happen at, the, at a single occurrence at the beginning of a Christian life or at the beginning of a believer's life? Is it, is it the single occurrence? I think that's the next slide. We have been saved, right? There was a moment I can look back on and say, I was saved here. Or does salvation happen as a process throughout the life of a believer? We are being saved. 
Or is it a moment at the, like a future moment, like at the end of our life that we will be saved? If you went through knowing faith this last semester, then, then you know that this is some things that we discussed through that. And the answer to all those questions is Yes, yes, it, it is something that we have been, we are, and we will be saved in the end. That's the beauty of these $5 words that we've been talking about. Justification is the instant moment of a, a surrendered life and a and, and repentant heart. It happens instantaneously. As soon as you ask Jesus to be the boss, to be the Lord of your life, he instantly saves you. And in that moment, he declares you just. He declares you right in the sight of God. Sanctification is the process over a lifetime of a believer to become more and more like Jesus, right? We don't want to just get saved and set on our assurance. We want to get saved and begin to figure out what that means in our life, the changes in our life, the things that we need to do differently, the way we need to process things differently, the way we need to parent differently, the way we need to be a husband or a wife differently, how this really affects every aspect of our life. That's the process of sanctification. And then lastly, at the end, obviously, glorification is at the end. He will save us from death and hell. That's the payoff. That's the excitement. That's what we look forward to. And I'll just say this, and this is going to, your salvation is not complete until your resurrected body meets with your soul in heaven. And that is taught all throughout Scripture. And some of y'all went, what? These processes are what we're going to work through for the next three weeks. This is what we're going to kind of dive into. What does it mean to be justified? What does it mean to be sanctified? What does it mean to be glorified? And as we see this, we're going to see this beautiful picture of God's grace and God's mercy. How he has come and and orchestrated this entire event called salvation for our benefit. Listen, we've talked about before how God is a say. He needs nothing, right? He needs nothing. We don't have to sacrifice things to him as though he is in need of anything. We don't have to surrender anything of our life because he doesn't need it. We need it. We need to come before him. We need to corporately worship. We need to give our life as a surrender to him. We need all those things. And salvation is something that we need, that he provides Justification, the moment of salvation, has absolutely nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God. He is the one who justifies. He's the one who imparts righteousness on us. He is the one who forgives us. And our role in this really is just an acknowledgement of his role. It's just acknowledging what he is doing for us. And then this moment... I think it's best described by two passages of Scripture in, in, in your Bible. It's one of them is an Old Testament passage, and one of them is a New Testament passage. One of them is written by Paul, and one of them is written by Moses. And in Paul's passage, he references some Old Testament things, some things that Moses said that I think are so incredible and so deep and so, uh, so impactful to our process of justification. We're going to look at both sets of Scripture this morning. So if you've got your Bible, go to Romans chapter 10 and put a finger in Deuteronomy chapter 30. We'll kind of flip back and forth. All these verses will be on the screen, uh, but it's good for you to see them and maybe even uh, underline them or highlight them in your Bible because I think that's a really important thing to do. 
Romans chapter 10, we're going to start in Romans. We're going to see what Paul's saying about the understanding of justification and salvation and what that means. And then he's going to, like I said, he's going to reference Moses and some things that Moses says. We're going to look at what he says about that, and we'll kind of go back and forth for a couple of times. Romans chapter 10, verse 1 starts with this. It says, brothers, he's writing the church in Rome. Remember, this is to the church in Rome. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Like he wants, he wants the Jewish community to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. He says, that's my heart. I want them to get it. I want them to put it together. I want them to see that he's the promise that the Old Testament has been promising for thousands of years. He says, my heart's desire is that the Israelites will be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. I love Paul's kind of heart that he's trying to explain here. He says, Listen, I, I want the Jews, I want them to get saved. I want them to get it because I know how much they love God. Like they are zealous for him, meaning they embrace and they pursue and they defend him. But their zeal is misplaced. Listen, you can know about God all you want. You can even acknowledge that there is a God all you want. You can claim relationship with God. But if there is no submission to Christ, there is no real relationship. Paul tells us they tried to establish their own righteousness, right? In other words, they, in their context, they were keeping the law. Like we're, we're going to earn our way, we're going to do all the right things, we're not going to do all the wrong things, and somehow God will uh, apply his righteousness to us because we'll be good enough. Their righteousness was based on what they were able to do, and we still do this now, right? I'm a good person. I'm even a church member. I've served, or I tithe, or I give an offering. I'm a deacon. I'm a good person. I help on Wednesday nights in the student ministry. Surely God will see me as good enough. Or we play the opposite side. I'm not a bad person. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. At least I'm not doing what they're doing. Or we try to normalize everything. I'm not doing anything that everybody else isn't doing. And Paul equates that with a righteousness of our own. And in the most honest words, I can say, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to cut it. When it comes to the realities of heaven or hell, there's no mark that you hit when you're good enough to earn it, and there's no mark that you hit when you're not good enough to earn it. 
Paul tells us in verse 4 that our key to righteousness is Christ. It's in Him that we are enough. It's in Him that we are deemed righteous. It's in Him that we are deemed just. He said, Christ is the end of the law. Christ supersedes all those things. It's Him that provides the righteousness that we need. He goes on and he draws this familiar example from a man that the Jews knew, Moses. And he says this, verse 5. Moses describes it this way. The righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness by, 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 that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Now we read that and we go, what in the world is he talking about? Paul is referencing Old Testament scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 30. And he's immediately giving an interpretation in light of who Jesus is. So when he quotes... The man who does these things will live by them. He's quoting Old Testament scripture. He's quoting scripture that they knew. And he quotes, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven. That's part of Deuteronomy. He immediately gives an interpretation. That's to bring Christ down. Who will descend into the deep? That's to bring Christ up. He's, he's immediately giving them some context to what Moses wrote generations ago. So, let's go back. Let's flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is uh, Old Testament scripture. Most of you, if you've tried to read your Old Testament, you love Genesis. Uh, the story of Genesis is incredible. It goes all the way through uh, Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob and all these incredible leaders. Then you finally get to Exodus and you know the story of Exodus so well. And then most of you give up in the middle of numbers. You do. We read numbers and it's a lot of, it's a lot of numbers at the beginning, right? And then you kind of, if you can push through some of those numbers at the beginning, you see a lot of really incredible context that kind of references back to some things that happened in the Exodus. And then you get into Deuteronomy and you, and you get lost in the law. Don't give up on these first five books. They are paramount to what we still believe as Christ followers. But what's incredible is how Jesus fulfilled all these things in the most unforeseen way. Deuteronomy chapter 30 um, is, is probably one of my most favorite Old Testament passages. It, it speaks very clearly not only to the future of Israel, but to our life. It's very, very profound. It's probably the best word I could use to describe it. The few previous chapters, Moses, Moses is trying to convey this idea of blessings and curses, and that's where it starts out, what we've got on the screen this morning. Um, Blessings in following God's law, being obedient to what he says, and curses if you do not, right? He's kind of setting up this, this duality. If you do it, it's going to be awesome. If you don't do it, it's going to be horrible. Just, just, just do what you're supposed to do. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 63, Moses says, Just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number, it will also please him to ruin and destroy you. In other words... Do it, but if you don't do it, okay, you're making that choice. Like he puts some incredible, like there's some positives and then there's some negatives, right? Figure this out. Get it right. The choice is yours. 
And then we get to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Sets up with verse 1. When all these blessings and curses I've set before you come upon you and you take them to your heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart, and with all your soul, according to everything I commanded you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that they may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. This is incredible. Moses is saying, listen, when it all comes down to it, you're going to be scattered. What Moses is doing is he is predicting, he is prophesying the exile. Right? We know what happens in Jewish history. We understand the Old Testament that finally at some point the Babylonians and the Assyrians and they push the people out of Israel. That he's, he's predicting the exile. And then he says, but when God brings you back, he's also predicting the return. Right? Now listen, you're going to be scattered to all the nations of the world, but then God's going to gather you back. He's going to bring you back. But notice the circumcision in the return is not a physical one, not an outward sign, not a law-keeping sign, not a righteousness of our own, but it's a circumcision of your heart. There's a spiritual change when you come to God, when you come back. He says when that happens, you can love the Lord your God, with your heart and with your soul, and live. Like, really live this life that you're supposed to. This is incredible because this is exactly what happens with us. We wander and we, we kind of live our lives in exile. We do what we want to do. And finally, at some point, God calls us to himself. He calls us to what we would call a home in him. He draws us to himself and he changes us spiritually from the inside out. And in response, we love him with our heart and our soul and we find life, like real, genuine life in him. And Moses says all these curses of disobedience, God's going to place on your enemies. But to the Israelites... He's going to make them prosperous and he's going to bless them. If, if you obey God and keep his commands, that's his, that's his whole hook. He's going to draw you in. He's going to change your heart. He's going to circumcise your heart. And he's going to, he's going to, he's going to bless you. Now, we immediately want the physical blessing, right? Right? It's awesome. I'm going to get saved. That's the prosperity gospel in a nutshell. I'm going to get saved. Everything's going to be great. I'm going to be healthy and happy and wealthy. And that's all God really wants from me is my own happiness. That's not true. God blesses us in ways that aren't necessarily physical or tangible or uh, in, in monetary or health benefits. There are people who are sick and dying who God is blessing every day. 
There are people who are walking very hard roads of life and God is walking with them every moment. That's a blessing. He says, well, I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you into me and I'm going to circumcise your heart. I'm going to change you spiritually from the inside out and I promise you I will bless you if you keep my commandments. If you just do these simple things I'm asking. And then he says this, and this is the verses that Paul quotes in Romans 10. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. says, Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend to heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart so that you may obey it. I love this. Moses is saying this, this spiritual change, this, this spiritual circumcision is not too hard for you to figure out. It's not hard for you to achieve. It's not beyond you. It's not kept for you away, from, away from you in heaven. It's not kept away from you across the sea. It's right here with you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. And that's exactly what Paul's saying to the Romans. He's saying, listen, this life that you want, this, this word in your heart is not far from you. It's not, it's not too difficult for you to grab onto. Exactly what I was saying earlier. This is not too deep for you. We can understand this. It's accessible. It's readily available. It's here and it's waiting for you. If you want to live this real life that God has promised so long ago, this whole heart and soul love for God that gives us real life, it's right here. It's not hard. It's accessible. It's for you. You don't have to have help. You don't have to wait. It's right here. And it brings us all the way back to Romans chapter 10. We're going to pick up and read the, we'll read all of verse 8. We kind of stopped in the middle of verse 8, but look what it says. He says, what does he say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. Like he's saying, hello, this is what we're saying. This is the fulfillment. This is the real life experience. And here's how to get it. Verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Hello, church. It doesn't get any more easy than that. It says, if you confess that Jesus is Lord. This is not a confession, a simple confession or an acknowledgement of Jesus' existence, right? It's that he is Lord. He is ruler. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created for him and by him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. That's confession that he's Lord. He is before all things. He matters most. It's confessing that he is a Lord. 
It's not, a, it's not a, an acknowledgement of existence. It's not a reluctant nod to his so-called authority in your life. This is a full-on surrender to the Son of God who was, who is, and who is to come. It's a confession that he's God and that I'm not. It's a confession that he's in the position of Savior and I'm in the position of needing to be saved. It's a confession that he is deity and I am humanity. That he is worthy and I am unworthy. It's a confession of our sin and his ability to forgive. He forgives our shortcomings with his grace. It's our inability to earn righteousness. It's his ability to declare us just before the Father. A holy and righteous God. See, when we stand before the Father, the Father doesn't see us. Because when he sees us, he sees sin. Instead, Jesus stands with us. He says, no, he's okay because of me. God the Father diverts his frustration and his anger toward our sin to his grace and love for his Son. And because of what Jesus has done, we are declared just. We are declared righteous. This moment of salvation is an eternal impact, but it is a confession that Jesus is Lord. He is above all things, and in him all things hold together. It's because of him. Notice that I didn't say it's because we prayed a specific prayer. But because we walked an aisle and got baptized, or that we repeated after me, there's no magic combination in our confession. It's not. Listen, if you, if you prayed the sinner's prayer, great. I love it. It's the reason why it's so uh, well known. It's because it's, a, it's an easy acknowledgement of who Jesus is. If you did a repeat after me prayer, great. I love it. That's, that's sometimes easier to kind of get your thoughts around what your heart's trying to say. Some of you, some of the greatest ones I've heard are from children. And I say, do you want to just pray and ask God to be the boss of your life and to ask for forgiveness and to ask him to save you? Or do you want to repeat and say, I'll just pray. And kids, eight-year-olds, in the honesty of their hearts, just pray a prayer of confession and repentance and I believe in that moment they're saved but hear me if all you did is recite words or repeat after someone and your heart didn't mean it then that's reiteration and not confession that's that's just saying things. It's no different than just reading words off of a page. If your heart didn't receive a circumcision, if you didn't have this spiritual change, if you didn't mean what you were saying. And listen, you don't have to know it all. You, some of you, listen, I love it. We were going through knowing faith this last semester and some of you are like, I've never been taught this before. I'm like, it's, yeah, I know. Like, I, I love getting to go through this. That didn't mean they weren't saved. Because when they were saved, their heart was just saying, God, I need you. You are the most important thing. I'm confessing you 
as Lord. It doesn't have to mean that you have to have these volumes of books memorized. No, it's not what it's talking about. It just is a simple confession, heartfelt confession. And I believe, church, that for a lot of us, we need to confess. We need to confess that Jesus is Lord. We confess that we need a Savior. We need to confess our sin, repent from it, and turn away and run to the one who offers forgiveness. Because we've never had a real spiritual heart change. Romans 10, 9 says, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We confess and we believe, but not just believe, we believe in the resurrection, right? I'm going to say this as bluntly as I can. I think I've even got it on the screen. If you believe in Jesus, but you don't believe that he rose from the, from the dead, then you don't believe in Jesus. I'm going to say that again because it's a hard statement. If you believe in Jesus, but you don't believe that he rose from the dead, then you don't believe in Jesus, You believe in some version of Jesus that you've made up in your head. You believe in some version of Jesus that offers no hope and no future and no eternity. The Bible makes it very clear that the qualitative proof that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God is that he raised from the dead because nobody else can do that. You've got to believe hand in hand that who Jesus is, confess him as Lord, and believe in the resurrection to be saved. The early church preach this. The apostles preach this all through the first eight chapters of the book of Acts. It's you killed him, God raised him, and we're all witnesses of that. That was the only message the early church preached. Because, listen, anybody will die for a cause. There's people who chain themselves to trees. Have you seen, I don't know if you saw the the clip of some woman running out on a basketball court trying to glue her hand on the basketball court because of animal rights or something. There's another video where this security guard like body slams this part. It's incredible. You should look it up. Anyway, people, people will die for any reason, but who else comes back from the dead? This is, this is the proof that he was, in fact, the Son of God. And the Bible says, Paul says, listen, confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, but believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, because if you don't, then you don't believe in the real Jesus. And we do this on a number of different levels. We make up these Jesuses that we want to believe in. We believe in the, the, the Jesus that's cool with everything. We believe in, the, in maybe the 21st century American uh, easy believism Jesus. Where if it's, if it's kind of against the grain of culture, then maybe God's not necessarily as, as against it as we think he is. And we take scripture and we want to manipulate it and we want to just ignore certain passages and say that it's not really that big of a deal when the Bible says it's a very big deal. This is another version of that Jesus and that's not who Jesus is. Church, if you don't believe that he rose from the dead, you don't believe in him. It's who he is. It makes his, his, makes his deity known. We can't anymore believe that Jesus didn't rise, in a Jesus that didn't rise from the dead than we can believe in a Jesus that didn't die on a cross. Because if he didn't die on a cross, then our sin debt is still owed. Right? We still have this eternal debt to God that we can't pay back and we don't have any hope. So we got to believe that he died on the cross. We also believe that he rose from the dead. They're hand in hand. We can't believe one without the other. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And we are saved. It's a very simple 
equation. Confess, believe, and you're saved. Cal Paul breaks it down in verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are, here's our word, justified. It's with your heart that you believe and you're justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and you are saved. It takes both this heart belief and this mouth confession. And your soul is saved. Church, that's not what you've done, then you're not saved. If that's not what you've done, then the Bible says you're not saved. That's not me trying to question your salvation. That's me trying to ensure you of your salvation. I can't read this passage in Romans 10 without reading verse 12 through 13. In the world that we live in, we need to hear this. And so just hear me in our bones. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You should say amen to that. Everyone. It doesn't matter if you're white or black or Asian or Hispanic. It doesn't matter if you're poor or rich or white collar or blue collar. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican. It doesn't matter if you struggle with addiction or if you've sang in the church choir your whole life. This justification, this salvation, this Jesus is for all. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In the moment that we begin to deem people worthy and unworthy of that grace, we become the sheep and the wolves in sheep clothing that Jesus warns us about. The moment that we say this is not for them, then you have stepped completely out of what Scripture teaches. This is for anyone. So here's my last thought, and I'm going to wrap this up with two, looking at two different passages of Scripture. One of them, I've got them on the screen, I think. One of them is a challenge to decide, and one of them is a challenge to share. And so no matter where you sit in this morning, whether you say, I am justified, bona fide, certified, I got it. I know that I am. Great. Then this challenge for you is going to be to share. If you say, man, I don't know, I'm, I'm questioning, I got, some, I got some things I'd like to talk to somebody, I need to I need some, do some soul searching, I need to talk to somebody. This is a challenge to decide. Let's read back in Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is verse 19, it says this, this is Moses kind of concluding his whole argument. He says, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land that he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I'm calling heaven and earth as witnesses that I'm setting before you a choice to make. Life or death. Blessings or curses. Choose life. Choose life. Choose this life in Him that He provides so graciously that we didn't have to have that He gave. Choose life. Choose forgiveness. Choose justification in His name because the Lord is life. That's incredible. 
choose. Those of us who have confessed and believed have been justified in Christ, then Paul hits us with probably one of the hardest truths of all of this this morning. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. We just read this. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they're sent as it's written? How beautiful are the feet who bring good news. How can they call and believe if they've not heard? And if they've not heard... How can they hear unless somebody preaches? How can they preach unless they're not sent? Church, this is not a call to pastors. We read this, we heard that word preaches, and we think, oh, that's for the pastor. It's not a call for pastors. This is a call to believers to go. Go and share so they can hear, so they can believe, and so that they can call. If you need a formal invitation, this is my invitation. This is my commissioning. Go and share the message of salvation, share the hope of the resurrection, share this heart change that comes with being declared just in the eyes of God. And this life, man, this life that we get to live because of the justification He grants. Some of you this morning need to choose. Some of you this morning need to go. You need to go. You need to share. You need to have these uncomfortable conversations. You need to point people to what matters most. It's a challenge to decide. It's a challenge to share. Would you stand with me? TJ's going to come. Ruth's going to play. We're going to have a moment of invitation. And this invitation is just that. It's me inviting you to come do business with God. We are inviting God to come speak directly to our hearts. And maybe this morning, maybe you need to make a decision. Maybe you need to share. Maybe you need to figure out where it is that God's wanting you to land this understanding of what salvation really is. It's not too hard. It's not too far away. It's right here in your heart and in your mouth. You confess and you believe. And you are deemed just. I'll be here if you need to talk to me, if you need to talk about what this really means or maybe just kind of getting back on track of what God has for you. Maybe you need to join the church or you need to say, listen, I've been saved, but I've never been baptized. I need to take these next step things. I would love to talk to you about all those things. If you have questions about what it means to be saved or about our church as a general, this is your opportunity to ask those. I'm available. If you just need to come and pray, then come and pray. The beauty of salvation is it doesn't take me to help you. It takes your heart and it takes Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for today. And Father, I thank you for the realities of your salvation and how you give it to us in a moment. Father, for us who have been saved, who have confessed and who have believed, we are instantly saved. God, there's nothing that can take that from us. There's no act of ours that we could do on the backside of the so bad that you ever take salvation away from us. God, once we have confessed and believed, we are yours. 
But God, maybe there's some of us here this morning that are trying to just earn our way. We're trying to be good enough. We're trying to be uh, not bad enough to earn heaven. And God, the Bible's so simple when it says that doesn't work. It has to be in a confession and belief of who Jesus is. And so, Father, today maybe there's somebody that just needs to pray and needs to confess, needs to acknowledge sin and what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection and the hope that we have in him. And maybe just say, I need to be saved. God, I bet for a lot of us, those last few verses that we read, that's going to be the hardest of all. How can they call if they haven't believed? How they can believe if they haven't heard? God, it's our responsibility to make sure they hear the message of salvation. God, help us share that. Right now, God, I pray for those who are here who are saved. God, put a name in their heart right now. And don't let them ignore it. Put a name in their heart with somebody they need, they know they need to have this conversation with. Somebody that they know that they need to share the hope of real life with. God, don't let the day pass without us being burdened for the lost. Without us making a heart decision. Without us ensuring our salvation. Not because of ourselves, but because of who you are. God, this is your opportunity to speak to us. Let us be obedient in our response. It's in Jesus' name we pray. If you need to come, you come as TJ sings.